Hello and welcome back to the Emerald Sports Podcast. My name is Shane Hoffman, and just like last week, I'm joined by my assistant editor, Charlie Gearing. What's up, guys? And one of our staff writers, Oscar Dyke. What's up, team? So a week ago at this time, we debuted. We talked about Oregon's offseason, uh, the football depth chart, as well as we kind of did a little look ahead at their schedule, and we, and we previewed the Stanford game as well. Uh, this week, Charlie and I were lucky enough to cover the Stanford game. We, uh, we actually went to the press box in, in masks, everything. The press box was wide open. We were freezing our balls off, trying to write and whatnot. Uh, no gloves. Charlie forgot to bring a, a big puffy jacket. So it was, it was quite the experience, but we got to see up close and personal just how this Oregon team looked in their week one game uh, against Stanford. So on this episode, we're going to talk about that game, kind of give a look back, recap that. We'll go and dive into next week's game against Wazoo up in Pullman. We'll also take a look around the Pac-12, which has already been absolutely ravaged by COVID. So for starters, um, let's let's do some some takeaways. You know, Oregon, they debuted their new offense with a revamped O-line, a new play caller, and a new face at quarterback. Charlie, tell me about Tyler Shuck's first career start. Yeah, I thought Shuck was really impressive. Um, despite a few minor mistakes early, he started off a little bit shaky. Ducks did, I think, in general offensively were pretty shaky um, working out the kinks some underthrows. he threw an interception took some bad reads that maybe could have resulted in in more interceptions um, but as the game went on you could totally tell he was starting to gain confidence especially on his feet obviously he turned a lot of eyes around the Pac-12 around the nation just in, in terms of his ability to move I, I personally did not know he could scoot like that um, yeah. 85 yards second on the team in rushing and then, um, I just want to hop in and say that's the most ever for an Oregon uh, quarterback in their debut. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, it kind of makes me wonder. I mean, I'm sure it'll be circumstantial moving forward, but I, I do wonder how much the Moorhead offense is going to utilize his ability to run. Yeah. Um, it'll be opponent-based, you know, obviously. But Yeah, and Cristobal did come out and say, look, we're not going to do that every week, but the opportunities were there. And, and overall, Moorhead's offense has a lot more of that built in. Uh, Oscar, his, his leading – you know, pass catcher in terms of passes caught was DJ Johnson. Tell me about DJ Johnson's uh, spotlight game against Stanford. Well, if it, I think if you asked Oregon fans who was going to be the from the get-go the best skill player or the most productive skill player um, for Oregon, you might say Jalen Red or CJ Verdell. But it turns out um, the leading pass catcher for Oregon, as you said, Shane, was DJ Johnson a man who wasn't even playing on the offense um, until spring. Um, DJ Johnson as a tight end, um, he was playing defensive end. Um, for Oregon, for the last couple of seasons, he transferred in from Miami in 2018. And he put up quite an impressive stat line, guys. Five catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown. He led the team in catches. And I think especially for young quarterbacks, too, um, throwing the ball to a tight end as a safety valve for short yard situations is huge. And if DJ Johnson can uh, show off his hands a little more, I think it could be a very, very strong connection for Oregon, especially as the team is transitioning to a new quarterback. And, um, yeah, I think this, you know, I think there's a real potential for um, improvement in that um, quarterback-receiver relationship. Yeah, and, and he showed the ability to – 
like you said, take those dump offs and make a play out of them. You know, take, he took one of the end zone. He shut off his strength, his speed and, and whatnot. I was really impressed by the play calling. It was quick. It was efficient. A lot of QB design runs. They were in a lot of run pass option, which I think Tyler Shuck looked very competent uh, doing. And they threw the ball deep, which was great to see. Uh, Johnny Johnson had one called back in the end zone. That was, I believe, 30 some yards. Obviously the highlight was Micah Pittman's 44 yard catch down the sideline with one hand. Um, Jalen Red had a really tight uh, contested catch down the field, so he was not afraid to air it out. Um, one other thing that jumped out to me is, is they, they ran quick, they were up to the line fast, and they mostly stayed in the same base formation. Now, the reason DJ Johnson was out there a lot, of course, was because some of the tight ends right before the game were deemed ineligible to play. We haven't gotten much information from Cristobal on that. But this is something that Moore has been known for. He tends to stay in base formations because he thinks it makes the offense less predictable right? If they can do more versatility with just that group, it really opens that option. So it's like when you bring in a, a, a Travis die, for example, it's, it's a different kind of style, right? If you can do everything with that same three receiver group, a lot of Verdell, a lot of DJ Johnson, it's more efficient. And that's what they did on Saturday. And I think it's what it's going to be like going forward. Although I think we will see more of those other receivers and more of Travis die as well as Cyrus who fumbled with one of his two carries. Charlie, you had some thoughts about the defense. Yeah, I thought, you know, obviously the Ducks defense underperformed by their standard. Um, They gave up 413 yards to a Stanford offense that was without their starting quarterback. Um, That should speak for itself, right? Game should have been a lot closer, too. Um, I mean, four missed kicks from Jet Toner. Uh, If he made any of those, I mean, this is obvious. The score would have been a lot tighter. Um, But... You know, I'd, I'd say that it's back to the, the drawing board for the defense. Uh, they they definitely aren't happy with that. Yeah. What stuck out to me is how much they rotated bodies. We saw guys coming in, you know, every few plays on every single drive. We had, you know, one lineman at times with a bunch of linebackers. Sometimes we had two, three, four defensive linemen. They they, they switched up their formations they they sub guys in almost everybody on the two deep got like pretty significant time and this was a game that uh, it wasn't all that big of a blowout until the second half right so it was a close game at first you saw all these guys rotating through I think Noah Sewell stood out as a guy I think after being beat early Michael Wright really rebounded he had a nice uh tip away in the end zone and I believe one or two more as well um did anyone else stick out on defense either of you guys I definitely agree that uh Sewell Sewell stood out big time. I mean, he was, he was tossing guys around. He had, he had a couple really big tackles. Um, he was great. I'd say I would agree with you there on Michael Wright as well. Uh, shaky start. He had a penalty early. If I remember correctly, he was, uh, they were clearly targeting him. Um, I wonder, and I, I do, I wonder how much of that was nerves, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's kind of rising into the starting role there. Oscar, did anyone catch your eye? Yeah, I would say Sewell, um, had a really strong game. And I would also, to go back to the secondary a little bit, I did think there was some sloppy play in the secondary this game that we had not seen last season. And that's due to a large part due to the new um, starters coming in, uh, Verone McKinley and Mikael Wright. And I think over time they're going to really improve. And uh, I still think the secondary is as deep as any unit on the defense. I just think it's going to take some time to get the new starters up to um, the level that, in 2019, the secondary was playing at, which was pretty unprecedented for Oregon, which is, you know, well known for being much more offensive team than defensive team. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And Verone played a lot last yeah. year. He started at free safety down the stretch. But you lose a guy like Javon Holland. So you have a new starter at nickel. Uh, y- you lose, like we said, Thomas Graham. You lose Brady Breeze. So Nick Pickett played. Steve Stevens played a lot. I was, I mean, obviously impressed with D.D. Lenore. I think he absolutely locked down his side of the field. Um, we didn't hear his name all night. And for a cornerback, that's the the best thing, right? That's what you <laughs> that's what you want unless you get an interception to just be completely take your half the field out of the game. Um, Oscar, you had some thoughts about what it was like to watch Watson, who, not who, which is, you know, historically one of the, the greatest atmospheres in college football. We had Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler calling the game and no fans. What was that like to watch? Yeah, watching at home, I think for a lot of Duck fans, turning on ABC, uh, Saturday night primetime football, which is a big deal for any Duck fans, and seeing a, a completely empty Austin Stadium, you have uh, cardboard cutouts, um, which does not fill the whole stadium, which only fills the, the right. top the row. Yeah, some, yeah. Some weird look. Um, and I don't know if that threw off the Stanford kicker and missed four field goals. Weirdly enough, that it's it's bizarre. And I, I and Camden Lewis missed sure how that goal. will work, especially. And I think you want to contrast this to stuff going around the college football universe. And we did see in the Notre Dame game and their double overtime victory over Clemson. The student sections rushed the field. Um, which caused a lot of controversy and um, COVID coronavirus concerns. Yeah. And so it's interesting how Oregon is playing it. I mean, they're playing it safe, and I think it's, they're which doing the right good. thing. Which is good. But the rest of the season is going to be a very different atmosphere, and I really seriously wonder how it's going to impact play. Totally. Look, Oregon escapes 1-0, and that's really all you can ask in a season like this. Hey, they got on the field. You know, that's an accomplishment in itself with two games being canceled this week in the Pac-12 alone. They got on the field. They get out of there 35-14. Charlie, like you said, missed field goals. It should have been closer. The offense looked good, not great. Defense struggled, but building blocks for sure and and coachable moments. They're on to Pullman now where they're going to face Wazoo, a team that historically over the past four or five years has kind of gotten the best of the Ducks. They eked out a win last year in Autzen. But the years before that, they really struggled against the Mike Leach-led Wazoo team. Now Mike Leach is gone. He's down at Mississippi State. In comes Nick Rolovich. Oscar, talk a little bit about what this team's identity is now, if there is one, and, and how it's changed in the, the Mike Leach-less era. Yeah, that's an interesting question because I, would, I wouldn't say Washington State's in a full rebuild. Um, they did have a disappointing season last year going 6-7 and seven and losing the Cheez-It Bowl which is not something anybody particularly <laughs> wants to be in. But in the in the eight seasons that Mike Leach uh, was head coach, Washington State was one of the more successful teams in Pac-12, maybe not quite at that upper echelon that Oregon and Stanford and USC had been at, mm-hmm. but certainly in Washington, uh, always in the mix. Yeah. And I think this season, uh, Rolovich is moving away from the air raid. So if you watch Washington State, you know they throw the ball every down. Um, They do not like running the ball at all, except um, to help advance the passing game. Uh, And it's produced some good quarterbacks. We see Gardner Minshew, who has been starting for Jacksonville in the NFL. Uh, Luke Falk has played for the Jets a little bit last year when Sam Darnold was injured. So we definitely have seen some success for Washington State quarterbacks in the next level. Yeah. Um, but Rolovich is moving away um, from the air raid into more of a, a run and gun style, which um, 
uses more motion in the line of scrimmage, uh, getting other receivers involved, but also relying much more on the running game, just something that Washington State has not really developed um, in the eight years that Mike Leach was head coach. And just like in those in those past few years, they have a quarterback. They have a guy they like. Charlie, talk to me about Jaden Delora. Yeah, he's interesting. Uh, he looks solid against OSU. Um, True definitely freshman. more. He, he, sorry. True freshman. Oh yeah, yeah. He yep. And uh, he's definitely more mobile um, than prior Wazoo quarterbacks. Um, had some impressive throws week one. Um, they had a really weird week. <laughs> for anybody that didn't know, they were missing 32 guys, uh, which was very odd. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, um, nobody really knows why. Um, Rolovich has kind of dodged questions on that. Um, you assume it's COVID. Yeah, you, you assume, um, which would be crazy, right? Like A lot of guys. About, yeah. yeah, 32 guys sick would be crazy. Um, but, yeah, Delora looked good week one, I thought. Yeah, and, and he's a guy – who had a prior relationship with, with Nick Rolovich, correct, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, a uh, Hawaii guy. He got recruited at Hawaii, and uh, Rolovich uh, kind of brought him over to Wazoo with him. Oscar, if you had to point to one maybe position group on this team that you think is the most talented, whether offense or defense, what would that be? I would give you two answers. I would say if the skill positions, I would say the wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Um because this is an air raid offense. So obviously to be successful from the ball, you need good receivers and they have pretty good receivers. Um, Treville Harris, uh, Renard Bell and Jemiah Calvin. Uh, those names pop out to me. And if you look at their size, um, none of them is over five foot 10 uh, because Leach likes smaller, faster wide receivers. And that was successful for them um, because Washington state was a really successful passing the ball air raid team. And so the way their offense is set up is different. And I think another good point as seeing how Rolovich deals with his trying to implement his new playing style is that he's still inheriting players from the Leach era that maybe are not type of players that he would normally bring into the program. Absolutely. Um, the second good line, um, uh, a position group, I would say, is probably the offensive line. I would say Liam Ryan, um, Josh Watson, Abraham Lucas our experienced pass blockers. Um, again, this is kind of the remnants of the Mike Leach era. We have good pass blockers and it doesn't always transition to the run game, but I would say that if you're a good pass blocking offensive lineman, that you will be better, more suited to be successful as a run blocking lineman as well. I think that's going to be really, really important for Jan Delora. Um, so he just feels comfortable to be a second game against probably the toughest opponent he'll face all season. Yeah, and I think you talk about the the run game. Dion McIntosh, a senior who has barely played at all, 147 yards and a touchdown. Look, he got his shot because Mac, Max Borgie was out. Probably the biggest hit of those 32 players, a guy that is is a is a really good pass catching running back out of the backfield, um, and he was perfect for that Mike Leach offense that we keep talking about. Uh, you mentioned Travell Harris; he had some really nice plays. Uh, caught some caught some balls and made some things happen with the ball in his hands after the catch as well. He's also their punt returner, so it makes sense. He's he's good in space. Um, let's talk about their defense a little bit. Their defense tends to have not too many standout players on it in the past few years. Uh, uh, Jihad Woods is is probably the guy you look at. He's a senior returning linebacker. He led the team in tackles last season with 141. Um, 
Another guy that interests me is, is, a, is a true sophomore, Ron Stone Jr. Uh, he's not actually listed in their starting lineup, but he had a hundred, uh, excuse me, not a hundred, 1.5 sacks, sack and a half against OSU last week. Um, they need some pass rush because I think the biggest miscues, not miscues, but weaknesses of this defense last year was the inability to make plays, not many interceptions. They had just 10 last year, and eight of those came from players no longer on the roster. Not many sacks either. Their sack leader only had four, and that was Will Rogers, who's a senior now. Um, so I think defense is also a story here. They looked good early against Oregon State. They let Oregon State climb back in at the end of the game. They secure the victory. Um, Charlie, what is a maybe a position group that you think Oregon could attack, a weak position group that Oregon could get the best of on Saturday? Definitely. I think, I think the wide receivers stand out to me. Johnny Johnson, Micah Pittman, Jalen Red all made it very clear last week that catching the deep ball is well within the, uh, Oregon's new look offenses kind of capabilities, right? Like Tyler Shuck can clearly throw a bomb, right? And that is well within their capabilities. And, and we'll see how Wazoo does against that. Like you said, not a lot of talent back there in the secondary. Absolutely. Look, let's get into some game predictions here. Charlie, what do you have for the game? So I initially had it a little bit closer at 28-10, but I just upgraded to 35-10 <laughs> a little bit ago. Uh, I think that the Ducks offense is, although kind of young and still sort of flawed, I think that they're going to cash in on an inexperienced uh, Wazoo defense. And I, I see that the Ducks, I see the Ducks defense tightening up this week. Interesting. What about you, Oscar? I don't have this game particularly close. I say Oregon wins 35-17 um, for multiple reasons. I just think Oregon's more talented overall. And I just think that – I think Washington State in prior years during the Mike Leach era were said to be a shootout team, a team that was winning shootouts. And I'm not sure that this new offense, they can keep up with Oregon. Um, so I think the offense is going to go on a roll. I think uh, we're going to see more action from Pittman – um, Johnny Johnson as the, the receiving game um, just ties up and plays better. And I think on the defense, I also think the defense will tie it up. Uh, I think Jane Delora is a really talented quarterback. But this is only his second career game. And I think playing the Oregon State defense is a lot different than playing the Ducks defense, quite frankly. And I, I, I don't see Washington State hanging at a lot of points on Oregon. But I could be wrong, so we'll see. I don't have it being a particularly close game either however i have it being a little high a little more high scoring 41 24 um look the ducks defense did not impress me against stanford a team that like uh washington state last week was was undermanned uh they i know they're missing a lot of their big pieces um and and so having having seen that and seen oregon really not show immense uh defensive potential i think it's still there but I need to see them prove it. And I think Jaden Delora is it obviously a huge upgrade over Jack West from last week. I think they get some points up, even if some of those are in garbage time. That being said, I think Oregon also can go crazy on offense. I think they unlock this offense even more playing another defense. That's not amazing. Um, I also look at CJ Verdell, who had a absolutely monstrous game against Wazoo last year um, as, as a guy to watch this week. Um, it looks like he's going to be getting, like usual majority of the carries and if he can stay healthy which he's had trouble doing I think he had another big performance um moving on let's move around the Pac-12 a little bit we saw Cal Washington and 
Arizona, Utah, both canceled last week, which was a pretty big hit for the Pac-12 because, you know, especially Cal, Washington, and Utah are, are kind of the cream of the crop, excuse me, uh, in the in the Pac-12 in, in, a, in a league that's not all that deep. Um, you know, Arizona's up and coming, but those are competitive teams. And now all four of those teams only have five-game seasons. Um, the schedule for this week, let's run through it. We got USC at Arizona, Colorado at Stanford, Cal at ASU, Utah at UCLA, and Oregon State at UW. Do any of those jump out at you, Charlie? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the Utah-UCLA game is interesting only in that, you know, I think it's it's an opportunity for, for Utah. Obviously, they had their first game canceled. Um, and quite frankly, they should run up the score on UCLA. That's, I think, the most likely, likely outcome. But still, it's their first showing. It's interesting. Yeah. I think the same, but I, I honestly think this is a, a better matchup about um, Cal and ASU. Uh, a huge game for Cal, equally important for ASU, who fell short last week. So um, Cal is, I think, very sound defensively. It'll be interesting to see how they do against Jane Daniels. Yeah, Cal's been a team that has been known for their defense these past few years. They've either ha- they either haven't had the quarterback or last year with Chase Garbers, he got hurt um, after, you know, a 7-0 start for them, right? So under Justin Wilcox, defense has been the name of the game for them, but that offense is coming around. They can maybe afford to start the season 0-1-1, but I think you look at ASU, and I don't think ASU can afford to be 0-2 if they have any hopes of capturing um, a-, a chance to go to the Pac-12 title game. Look, Jane Daniels was really spotty throwing the ball last week, I think, in that USC comeback. And I don't know if I'd blame the comeback all on him, but he had a chance to 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 win the game or at least tie it back up there in the final moments. And he he misfired several times in a row. Now he plays a, a defense that is equally talented and might just be better schematically across the board. I wonder what we see from him. Uh, do any of these games catch your eye, Oscar? I think if you're an Oregon fan, any game if USC, as long as they're ranked, is going to be absolutely the um, game to watch. And I think, especially when USC almost lost Arizona State, I mean, if you watch that game, it was a wild comeback. We saw um, two touchdowns in the last three minutes of the game. We saw a successful onside kick. And I don't want to call that comeback lucky. I mean, it takes a lot of guts for any team to come back being down two scores. But it, it can make you confident as the Pac-12. Um, you only have two teams ranked. Right. And if you're Larry Scott, and you, I, I don't think you're very happy that you only have two Pac-12 teams ranked. And if, if Oregon wants any shot going to the college football playoff or any national respect, they have to play top-tier opponents. I do not think the Pac-12 is very deep this year. And, and so playing a ranked USC team in the conference championship would be huge for Oregon. So I think if you're an Oregon fan, you're rooting for USC to win out. Yeah, I think you need to, they need, they would need to be undefeated, play an undefeated USC team, and then, you know, see from there. And it, it was almost worst case scenario this past week because you say, okay, well, if Arizona State does win, maybe Arizona State is the team that could win out. They lose, but USC doesn't look very, very good, honestly. They do, they do kind of scrape it out by the skin of their teeth. But like you said, I, I totally agree with you, Oscar. I think, Oregon fans have to be, as much as they probably don't want to, rooting for USC. Um, other games that jump out, you know, I think I think it'll be interesting to see UW 
under Jimmy Lake, obviously, uh, see what they've got going at quarterback and, and watch uh, OSU, uh, which, you know, OSU is, I think, moving in the right direction. They've got some pieces. Um, Charlie, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Utah, UCLA. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think Utah lost a lot of guys off that pretty veteran-laden unit, or team rather, last year. Um, and, and look, Chip Kelly, the experiment is not working. Uh, this this could this could well be his last year uh, down there. But look, I think that's about it for us. Um, I've been Shane Hoffman here with Charlie Gearing and Oscar Dyke, and, and that'll be it for us this week uh, on the Emerald Sports Podcast. See you guys later. <laughs>